Welcome to the Unstoppable Recording Machine Podcast. And now your host, Al Levy. Welcome to the URM Podcast. Thank you so much for being here. It's crazy to think that we are now on our seventh year. Don't ask me how that all just flew by, but it did. Man, time moves fast. And it's only because of you, the listeners. If you'd like us to stick around another seven years, and there's a few simple things you can do that would really, really help us out. I would endlessly appreciate if you would, number one, share our episodes with your friends. Number two, post our episodes on your Facebook and Instagram and tag me at URM Audio and at URM Academy and, of course, our guest. And number three, leave us reviews and five-star reviews wherever you can. We especially love iTunes reviews. Once again... Thank you for all the years and years of loyalty. I just want you to know that we will never charge you for this podcast, and I will always work as hard as possible to improve the episodes in every single way. All we ask in return is a share, a post, and tag us. Oh, and one last thing. Do you have a question you would like me to answer on an episode? I don't mean for a guest. I mean for me. It can be about anything. Email it to me at al at urm.academy. That's E-Y-A-L at U-R-M dot A-C-A-D-E-M-Y. There's no dot com on that. It's exactly the way I spelled it. And use the subject line, answer me al. All right, let's get on with it. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the URM Podcast. Our guest today, Zach Jones, is a producer, songwriter, mixer, musician, and URM Podcast alumni. With an ever-expanding portfolio, Zach has worked with acts such as We Came As Romans, Plain White Tees, Fever 333, Vail Maya, and Chelsea Grin, among many, many others. Also, he recently started a record label, and we'll talk about that. Let's get into it. Zach Jones, welcome. How's it going? Good. It's something that usually happens is when I start talking to people, like before we start recording, if I'm not careful, um, we'll end up talking for like 15 or 20 minutes and it'll be like, damn, why didn't we just record that? That's hilarious. I feel like, yeah, just like off rip. It's like, how's it going? And just like immediate like floodgates open of info. (laughs) So Yeah, exactly. And so we were talking about productive and creative hours, but like you were saying that you like to start later and later and later. I was saying that I like to start earlier and earlier and earlier. Yeah, I feel like, so the system, because as of now, it's kind of, I haven't hired on anyone to like, you know, work for me yet or anything like that. So I'm kind of just doing everything unless I do like a co-produced situation. But I usually try and mix, do all my mixing from like 8 a.m. until, you know, noon whatever I have to do for the day and then I do like my main session of like writing and production starting at noon until like dinner time and then if I have to do a couple other little things I'll do it later at night um you know but yeah it's usually kind of like the workflow through the week but I've, I've realized like yeah if I'm having to write a song it feels like early afternoon is the time for me to do that but like the mixing and like extra production bits and all that I feel like early morning or late night are when those feel the best. So I feel like I've got it to somewhat of a like good system now after a lot of trial and error. But, you know, it's kind of just, uh, yeah, it's kind of what works for me as of now. So that's kind of similar, I guess. The mixing makes perfect sense because you need a fresh brain and fresh ears yep. to handle that. The thing that I've noticed is 
when writing music. I mean, I can do it at all times. And I, just like anybody else, it'll come to me at weird hours and when you don't want it to and when you're not working on writing and all that. But as far as sitting down to write, still, I could make it happen at any time, but nothing is better than waking up super early, like 5.30, warming up on guitar for like 30 minutes and then by 6.30 or 7, be writing. Because like there's this level that my that my brain goes to that only does it then. I can wake that thing up for like five hours straight if I start early enough. But if I start later, I can still kind of wake it up, but it won't last as long. Like it'll last like an hour or something. Okay. But, yeah. But yeah. So if I, but if I'm working by seven, I can sustain like peak creativity for like a good four or five hours. So yeah, I have tried my hardest to learn how to go to bed earlier and it's really, really hard for me. Yeah. It fluctuates for me. Like I'll have like, I feel like this past week I was in bed at like 1030, which is like never happens. And then yeah, I'll have, you know, some weeks where it's like, 2 a.m. I'm still laying there, like, you know, watching TV, trying to fall asleep. I'm sure there is, like, uh, other people where they're, like, their time frame throughout the day is just constantly changing. Like, I feel like I have, like, certain things that are, like, always the same. And then it's just there's, like, a lot of other pieces, like, you know, that are constantly changing as far as, like, you know, like, sleep schedules and stuff like that. But, like, I'll still get up at the same time. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. Like some some weeks, like I feel like if I get less sleep, I feel better throughout the week, you know. Well, what does less mean for you? Like what's normal? I don't know, four to five hours, which yeah. sounds crazy. But like I feel like anything over that, then I'm like, it's like pulling teeth trying to get out of bed in the morning, you know. Okay, so closer to four, you know, that's starting to get red line-ish. But yeah. <laughs> above six, then you're starting to get into lethargic mode there's like this five hour sweet spot but i i feel like you can't sustain that like yeah after several days of that you have to like sleep longer for sure i think that's why i feel like i have weeks where it's like yeah i do like the four to five hour thing and then i'll have like other weeks where it's like yeah like i'll be in bed at 10 30 and then sleep until like you know eight or so but yeah yeah it's definitely a back and forth thing what i do because I kind of stay at my girlfriend's place part-time. And when I'm with her, I sync to her schedule yeah. when at all possible because she's very routine and that's good for me. So she wakes up at 5.20, so I wake up with her. It just keeps me in line during the week, which then makes it really hard to stay up till 3 or 4. But still, like I'm ending up getting 5 hours or 4 hours of sleep a night when I'm staying with her, but that's fine. Because I can sustain that yeah. through the week. And in some ways, it's more productive than home where one night I'll sleep seven hours, another night I'll sleep five, another night I'll sleep eight, another night four. Yeah. Even if like you're not sleeping, quote unquote, enough, I think consistency is better, at least for me. Yeah, definitely. No, I, I, I could agree to that for sure. What about as far as like schedule goes? Um, is there any type of schedule that you like to keep that you feel is like peak for you like I know that I know in music everything's always changing so like one of the things that you have to be able to do is adapt but is there any sort of like type of schedule where you've been on it and you've just been like man this is 
this is what works. Everything is just flowing. Yeah, like kind of how I'm doing things now. Like I was saying, like the, you know, mixing, you know, starting around eight till, you know, 11 or noon and then start my like main session. So whether that's like a writing session or, you know, an album I'm doing and then I'll do that from like 11 or noon until, you know, I, I feel like, yeah, I'll, I'll do that till probably, you know, like seven or eight and then usually break and be off for the night or if there are if there is more things I need to do I'll um you know just go take a dinner break come back and then you know wrap up but I feel like that is the most efficient for me and I've I've recently started taking weekends off which is a huge thing you know gives you something to look forward to and wow. you know you just feel like holy shit come come back you know refreshed yeah <laughs> congratulations graduated to weekends yeah my my friend um that I work with a lot, uh, Drew Folk. He's been on here, Wizard Blood. Yeah, yeah. Love that guy. He was the biggest uh, advocate for that. He's like, take weekends off. I was like, how am I going to get all this done? He's like, trust me, take off the two days and you will work way harder when you come back on Monday. I was like, all right. So I tried it and like, yeah, it's it's nice. I forgot what it was like to like, you know, obviously it's music. So it's like, it is always enjoyable for the most part. So taking the weekends off, like when Monday came around, I was like really looking forward to like coming back instead of, you know, it just feeling like just one long sprint, you know. <laughs> I do know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I can't because of the situation I've landed myself in by adding the band back in. Like I can't hope to ever get a day off. I haven't had one. I don't know. Maybe this year. Yeah. But that's OK. I still think that people should demand to at least have one day off. Except if they haven't earned it. So, and I know that that's going to sound weird because there's a lot of people out there who are taking their power back as far as how much work they do. But in a field like audio where like you set your own fate and uh, you're, you're not working for a boss, you're working for yourself and you have client deadlines and if you don't do the work, well, you know, it's just me one day later. In the early years when you're still proving yourself and- you're not established yet, you might not have the luxury of that. And not because anybody's imposing it on you, but just because the world doesn't give a fuck about your dreams. Like it just keeps moving. And if you take a day off, the world does not take a day off. So with a production career, I think that's why I said congratulations. It's just because when you get to the point where you can take a day off a week or a weekend, like you just do that and your career keeps moving. That's a milestone, actually. Yeah, I mean, it took, it took you know, and, and and there's the, you know, definitely times where it's like, you know, like. Of course. Having to do, you know, bounce out some stems, wrap up yeah. and mix little. I just don't book any like big sessions on the weekends anymore. But, you know, that it did take take a long time to like to get to that point. But yeah, I mean, and that was that, like I've always just had this, you know this FOMO of like, yeah, if I'm not working, somebody else is, you know, and like, well, it's the truth. Yeah. And it's just to get to the point where you're like, you know what? I am going to take the day off. You do have to come to peace with that, that you're okay with like somebody, somebody else is out there moving, you know, advancing still. Well, it has to get to the point where your clients aren't going to leave you over it. Yeah. Your clients work with you because of what you bring to the table and that's it. Like, they're not going to not come to you because you take Sundays off or something. Like, it's just not going to happen once you get to a certain point. When people are coming to you because you're like the cheapest option or their buddy or geographically close, 
that's when, if you're not available the day they want you to be, that's when they'll go to somebody else. But if they're going to you because of what you specifically bring to the table, that's when you get to that point, when you've established yourself that much, it doesn't mean that you're like the CLA level or something. It just means you've established yourself to a point where people come to you for what you do. Then you can start to like reclaim some of your life back, I think. Yeah. I mean, there's just different levels to, you know, there's, you know, guys that like love just doing audio and they're, you know, it's not even necessarily wanting to make a name for themselves or they just, you know, they'll, they like work, you know, the studio environment working on, you know, lots of different things, but it's not necessarily about the client relationship, if that makes sense. You know, it's just kind of like, you know, just artists passing through and they're like, what do you need? You know, and they just help them get through the day kind of thing. But, you know, I've always very much been on the end of, you know, you know, even, you know, very heavy handed in like the development of like an artist's sound and all that. And when I do take on a record, it does, you know, it's, it's that, you know, thing where it does feel like you're that fifth or sixth member or whatever. And, you know, those are those are just all like whenever I take on anything, it's always got to be that for me. I think if it feels like a put like shut up and push record, then it's just, you know, it's just not for me, I think. No, and there's people who are cool with that. God bless them. And I, I've had a couple of those, you know, in the past and, you know, just to like try it. And I was like, OK, you know, which I for me was more of just like a paycheck kind of thing, you know, at that point. And I was like, it's just isn't doing what I want to do like long term. So what I noticed when I did those kinds of gigs, that's what turned me off from it, because I'm not as good of an engineer as some other people, because that part of my brain that does the good stuff doesn't really come on on gigs like that. It didn't. And I didn't know what to do to like make myself care. Yeah. Like I can't make myself care about something I don't care about. I just, I just can't. Yeah. Cause if you know that it's just like, Hey, we have this song idea. We just need, we literally just need a studio to lay this down in. And, and, and you know that anyone could be at the computer technically that knows how to like run it. You know, it is, it does make it hard to care, you know, cause it's like, well, like you're just doing it. Yeah. Let me clarify one thing. It's not not caring, like, I don't give a fuck, like, anything goes, we'll just let it suck. Not like that. Like, I do care. I care that they get what they were looking for. I get that it's, I care that it's good. I, I care about that. But the level of care that comes when, like, I'm really into something is, it's like this yeah. whole other, the, the care to make it, like, the best thing on earth. I can't fake that. Yeah. Well, it's, I think it's just carrying on like on multiple levels. Like it's like, yeah, like at the end of the day, it has to be great. It has to sound great. But like to like if they don't want input on their song, it's hard to then you immediately are going to stop caring about the song because it's just a waste of energy at that point. You know, you're like, well, I just need to make sure that everything's coming into the computer correctly. So I don't. Yeah, I do. You know, you could be like, I think that is a bad lyric, but I'm I'm not going to say anything because I'm not even supposed to care about that right now. So it is like, yeah, I I think when it comes yeah to records and all that, like for me, it always has to be that that thing where like you do have to care and you you want to care and you do care about every little aspect of it, you know, because it's a big thing, you know. I mean, even though it's their band, it's your project at that point too. Yeah. If everybody's locked in, everyone's in, is trying to share the same mental space and get on the same level, you know, emotionally and everything. Like, I think that's, that's like when the coolest stuff is made and like, you know, how do you create that thing that only you and those other people in the room would create and 
you know, if 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 anyone was removed from the equation, it wouldn't have turned out the same. I think that's like that to me is the coolest part about like sessions and writing and all that is like what happened in the room that day with those people. And that that would have not happened if it weren't for that. For better or for worse? Yeah, I've always found that like fascinating because I've seen it so much, like especially out here, just how fast paced. It is how many sessions just constantly are happening. And like you start connecting the dots of like, oh, like, you know, this wouldn't have happened ever if it weren't for this or like you can it just starts to like make more sense. And like, I don't know, it's really cool to like dig in deeper with like with all of that. I don't know. Just out of curiosity, because the production style that we're talking about involves like like you kind of said, like being an extra member of the band, like taking it on as your own, becoming part of the tribe, basically. But still, at the end of the day, the record is going to be handed in and they're going to leave and it's going to be them. And then you're on to whatever's next. They're going to go on tour for a while. And at the end of the day, it's still there. So my question is, in that situation where you are like the fifth or sixth or the seventh member, how do you know when to be like, okay, I'm not going to push this point any harder or like, you know, that you really feel like something needs to get changed, like lyric and they are just not into it. But like part of why you were hired was to help fix songs and be that extra member. So where do you draw the line? Well, and I always go into it, you know, so at the end of the day, it is their record. And like, I don't know if there's anything that I've had to fight that hard i think to get a cry if i think it's something where i'm like this absolutely needs to change it usually ends up changing but like i've noticed that you know because i've worked with some guys and i'm just not that kind of person where they and and they probably get there a lot quicker but like other producers will just shut something down right you know, right in the moment, if they're like, no, that's not good. We're absolutely not doing that. You know what I mean? Yes. I feel like it's hard, especially if it's a newer art, like an artist that you're like just working with for the first time. Like, I feel like if you just shut too many things down off the bat, you know, it just, it's, it makes, even if good things are still happening, it makes the whole process feel rigid to them, I think. So I'll take mental notes as we're writing a song, producing something, I'll take mental notes of all the things that I want to change and fix. And then I'll kind of like prioritize it. And I'll just slowly circle back to those. Basically, how do you get back to the problem and not put a huge spotlight on it. You know, I don't like to be like, I don't like this. This is an issue because then like a lot, you know, I think, you know, it's, it's very easy for people to get, you know, like worked up and when, when it is their art, like it's personal. Yeah. If there's too many issues, then they're going to be like, well, what's going on? You know? And it's just like, it just, and you know, it opens up the door to so many other problems. So I try to just slowly just, chip away at these like little issues where it's like, oh, like this riff could be a little cooler. Okay. Like what if it hit, you know, this note instead of this one. And it's like, oh yeah, that is cool. And then you just pop it in and it was never an issue or like a bad lyric where it's like, okay, like, yeah, let's lay it down. And then later on just, you know, kind of be like, oh, like, wouldn't it be like cool if you said this instead of this. And, you know, a lot in like surprisingly, most of the time when it is that nonchalant, like people are like, oh yeah, no, that is cool. Like, well, let's try it. You know, but if, it were to be like, no, I don't like that at all. What if it's like this? Then it's all all like already like a debate. You know what I mean? Yes. I mean, it's 
not what you're saying, it's how you're saying it. Yeah. That's kind of like one of the secrets to like getting along in this world is not what you're saying, how you're saying things. Yeah. You know, I don't think there's like a right or wrong. I don't think the way I'm doing things is 100% right, you know, or anything. It's just... I've just been in in rooms where, you know, I'll see somebody just like shut something down hard. And I'm like, the only time I would do that is if I'm trying to get like a really pissed off emotional take out of somebody is is when I would be like, you know, what are you doing? Like, that sounds awful, you know, which is very rare. Then you're going to have to deal with the consequences. (laughs) You might get a great take, but you're going to have to deal with the the fallout. Yeah. So it's just, yeah, I've, I've just, I've seen all different aspects of it and like avenues and it sounds probably just, you know, really like lame or whatever, but like in the studio, I don't like to, yeah, just, I try to just keep any negative like words, comments, anything out of it, you know, like I don't like telling, you know, saying no, or like, I don't like this or that's bad, whatever. And like, I just try to keep everything positive moving forward, even if, you know, and it's most of the time everybody in the room knows if something's not 100% there, but it's like all good. Like we're still moving forward. Let's work on this next part. Then once that part's great, it's like, okay, cool. Let's go back to this one. And it, it's like, you could probably solve it. You know, whatever issue it was could probably be solved in a matter of minutes instead of mulling it over for an hour, you know, just cause I, and then everyone's in a bad mood and like burnt out. So I don't think it's lame at all because there's there's a lot of bad that comes out of letting the vibe spoil on a session. Oh, yeah. A session lives or dies by its momentum. You got to keep that going. And it's not worth fucking with someone's feelings. And people are going to be sensitive about these things. Like, there's some people that you can just be like, yo, that sucked. And they're not going to care. They Like, they're cool with it. They, like, prefer that type of interaction. Yeah. But that's something that you need to, like, know about that person before you take that approach. You can't just do that to people. You could do that to me. If you were recording me, you could do that to me and it would be perfectly fine. Yeah, that's such a huge thing. Like aside from the actual making of the music, it's like learning. It's, I mean, you're, you know, it's almost like I say, it's a constant therapy session, basically, you know? So it's like, if, if I'm working with an artist for the first time, like, I'll try, you know, sometimes you have to just get right to it and you don't have the option to go out. But like, I'll usually try to take them out, go get coffee or like lunch, just like hang out first, talk, anything like that. If like, if you're, we're about to start working together for like a period of time, you know, it's like, I think like having a day, especially like if with a record, like I've never liked just get to the studio immediately, just start making music, you know, it's like, Hey, like, let's go out, let's hang, let's talk and just like, you know, that one day of just human interaction is going to save you so many like hiccups and just troubles, you know, in, in your month of recording an album, I think. So Mark from um, Vale Maya, he's like one of my really good friends. We just wrapped up their album and the first day he flew in. I picked him up and we went to the mall. We went shopping. We went to Cheesecake Factory. We got coffee. Uh, he wanted to go pick up a new video game. We did that. Came back to the house, ate dinner, and then watched TV. And that was it. But we the whole time we were just talking about, you know, kinds of like songs we want to make, what kind of headspace he was in, you know, and like they had just started going back out on tour and all that. And I was just trying to, you know, 
just pick up on, you know, just just basically how he was feeling and what, what he was going through. And yeah, it just gave me a lot of insight on how to approach that record and like what kind of workflow is going to be best. And it turned out like it was such a smooth, shockingly smooth record. So, yeah, like, I'm, I don't know. I, I just I love doing that. Like, yeah, just taking the day to go out and just just hang out. And I, th- I think it, it just gives you a lot of insight that's going to be much needed, like throughout the record process. And you gotta get on the same page. Yep. And a lot, a lot of that can't really be determined over email or text or whatever. Mm-mm. Like it, it sometimes, but like in general, you gotta like feel it out. Yep. I, you know, obviously every scenario is different. So like, I don't always get to do that. But you know, like what I did with Mark. But like, I do notice also like we could have easily just sat at the studio and had all those conversations. But there's something about being out and about walking around where there's no pressure, nothing feels like work at that point. And that's like, I feel like when you get on, you know, honest answers and everything, you know, cause you're just, you're just out, like you're not really thinking you're just talking and not, you know, thinking about it. And then once you get back to the studio, then it's like, okay, we know exactly what we're trying to accomplish here. Hey everybody. If you're enjoying this podcast and you should know that it's brought to you by URM Academy. URM Academy's mission is to create the next generation of audio professionals by giving them the inspiration and information to hone their craft and build a career doing what they love. You've probably heard me talk about Nail the Mix before, and if you're a member, you already know how amazing it is. At the beginning of the month, Nail the Mix members get the raw multitracks to a new song by artists like Lamb of God, Angels and Airwaves, Knock Loose, Opeth, Meshuggah, Bring Me the Horizon, Gojira, Asking Alexandria, Machine Head, and Papa Roach, among many, many others. Over 60 at this point. Then at the end of the month, the producer who mixed it comes on and does a live streaming walkthrough of exactly how they mix the song on the album and takes your questions live on air. And these are guys like TLA, Will Putney, Jens Bogren, Dan Lancaster, Tui Madsen, Andrew Wade, and many, many more. You'll also get access to MixLab, which is our collection of dozens of bite-sized mixing tutorials that cover all the basics, as well as Portfolio Builder, which is a library of pro-quality multitracks cleared for use in your portfolio so your career will never again be held back by the quality of your source material. And for those of you who really want to step up their game, we have another membership tier called URM Enhance, which includes everything I already told you about, and access to our massive library of fast tracks, which are deep, super detailed courses on intermediate and advanced topics like gain staging, mastering, low end, and so forth. It's over 500 hours of content, and man, let me tell you, this stuff is just insanely detailed. Enhanced members also get access to one-on-ones, which are basically office hour sessions with us, and Mix Rescue, which is where we open up one of your mixes and fix it up and talk you through exactly what we're doing at every step. So if any of that sounds interesting to you, if you're ready to level up your mixing skills in your audio career, head over to urm.academy to find out more. Speaking of Vail Maya, you met Mark when he was brought in to assist on some songwriting, and uh, you clicked well during that session. And as a result, you were later approached to work on the latest Vail of Maya. So I'm curious... What was that first session with Mark like? And what do you think made, like, what do you think the reason was that that led to 
you getting approached about the record. What's funny is it kind of ties into what we were just talking about, you know, how you say it or how you approach things. So like he came in and it was for this band Jinx. Um, they had just signed to my friend um, Jason Butler, his label 333. Him and I do like a lot of that stuff together. But they had just signed over there and they, they told me what kind of song they wanted. I was like, well, I know Mark's in town. He's working with a friend, this guy KJ, that I work with on a bunch of stuff. I was like, I could I could hit him up, see if he could pop in and like, like you know, just help, you know, write some like riffs and all that. And so Mark was down, he came in and we just just got right to it. We had, we had crushed out an entire song in like two hours. And afterwards, he was like, he was like, thank you for, you know, just he was like, you didn't question what I was doing. He was like, you know, there and it was the thing where there were like, you know, little parts that we would go back and touch on again. But, I you know, nobody in the moment didn't make a big deal out of anything, you know? And I mean, he's, I mean, he's just fantastic. So there's very little of that, but like, you know, he was just like, you just, you trusted me. You let me do my thing. You Like I saw everything through. He was like, I want to try this, this, and this. I'm like, okay, cool. We tried all of them. And then we would pick the best option instead of me, you know, being like, nope, we're not doing that. We're not doing this. We're not doing that. But yeah, we crushed out the whole song super quick. He was excited on it. The band was super stoked on it. And he was just like, that felt a little too productive and then um yeah he was just like yeah so I, I don't know I think I think we just clicked very well and I think he just from my understanding I think just really enjoyed just the workflow and like you know being able to try just all of the options hear it you know hear it back immediately and you know he got to you know make the decision but yeah it was, it was, it was a really cool cool workflow but yeah I think that that is one of those things where you know it seeing that work and like kind of pay off like in the moment almost. It's interesting to understand why artists go back. It is another one of the milestones, I think, you know, like being able to claim weekends, that's one milestone. Having repeat artists, it's another one. Every once in a while you get these multi-platinum producers who only do one album per band because they're horrific to work with. Yep. They get another band in who saw the success of their previous client and then they go and get tortured but have a successful record. Like there's that. Yeah. But in general, that's not, you know, that's not who you want to be. Yeah. Like repeat clients is where it's at. And I know that lots of people struggle with that. Lots of people struggle with that. I know lots of people listening to this. That's like a big question for them is how do you get to the point where you can get people coming back. But I think you basically just answered it. It's like, you got to be on the same page. The workflow has to be compatible. Yeah. The personalities have to be compatible. And of course, they have to like the output. Yeah, exactly. But just liking the output alone is not enough, I, I think. Because like, because I no. do know of those, of those horror stories where like someone is just a genius producer and a terror to be around. Yeah. Oh, I see it all the time with, you know, guys like that are just, I mean, miles ahead of everybody talent wise, you know, and they just can't yeah, just can't get out of their own way because they're just, just almost like nearly impossible to deal with. And for those artists, you know, it's like, yeah, it could sound insane. The song is great, but they're just like, I mentally. And they could have their biggest album of their career. Yeah. And they're just like, mentally, I'm not going to, I'm not doing that anymore. I, I cannot put myself through that, you know? So 
it, it's it's crazy to see that. But yeah, I think it's just yeah, it's like you know finding that balance of like yes, it is work. You are hired to do a job. You're hired to you know make this song, album, whatever it is, as the best thing that it can be. But you also can't be so like not corporate, but like just cold and like it can't be just straight business. You know, it's just like. I've just I've just seen that where they're like, nope, nope, that's not going to do well. So it's going to be this. And it's like, but you don't honestly, no one knows. Like we all have a good idea of what works, you know, just based off the past in music. But no one knows what's going to pop off next. Like you, you know, why not try the. It's all a guess. The risky thing. Yeah. Anyone that's like that says they know is they they don't. No one can predict it. You know, you can have a hunch. But no one's certain. And you can have a good track record for having good hunches. Yeah, exactly. But that's all it is. You have a good instinct, but that doesn't mean you're right all the time. Yeah. Which, you know, obviously does have value, but it's not certain. I think, yeah, it's just, it, it kind of just comes down to taste. Like, I feel like it's just people that do have those hunches and, you know, do see things pan out close to whatever it was like it's usually just because they have you know they have like a good taste i think you know where they're like this this feels great like this is this feels like this gives me that feeling you know i that's you, you whenever whenever i'm trying to pick like singles or something i'm like it's it's finding that feeling of like you know when i was like a kid before i even knew how to like play guitar or anything just like whatever feeling it was when i turned on a song where you know it's just like you can't even explain it you know you're just like this feels just that you but but you by just saying that feeling like yeah yeah exactly so that's what i'm constantly looking for which like you know get gets harder you know the more you do it because it's just such high output so many things out there you know it does like kind of you know lose a little bit of that punch but um i don't know when when you have that song you can feel it though for sure like when you know you know yeah it's like when everyone working on it listens to the playback and it's over and everyone just starts laughing because everyone knows that shit is sick that's it the laugh yeah you just know yeah if if it's so good that everybody can only laugh, then you're you know you're in a great spot. I think that's that that that's the biggest thing is like pulling out extreme emotions, whether it's excitement, happiness, anger, you know, or like you know, yeah. If you're crying at the end of a song, you did your job too. You know, it's just like um, how do you how do you make someone feel in the deepest level? And if you did that, then if if the you know five people in the room are feeling the same thing, then chances are a lot of other people are going to feel that way too. So it's, it's good to, good to, you know, keep track of that, you know, throughout the process. Yeah. I, so one thing that happens a lot, I was actually talking about this on a riff hard podcast yesterday as pertaining to writing, but I also, but I think it's the exact same. I've noticed this with mixing uh, too. And with URM students, um, like lots of, uh, lots of, people will hit me up about my writing and ask me all kinds of technical questions. Like, was I thinking of this theoretical thing while doing that? And it's like, no, it's like they're saying, I'm trying to write something in your style. So in this part of this song, were you thinking of like adding this so that this harmonic movement could happen? And it's like, no, I wasn't thinking of anything but writing something sick and that felt good. And I think that like, they get too intellectual about these things. And it's the same with URM students with mixing and stuff. It's like 
they overthink these things when, why did you use this instead of this? Why did you use this instead of that? What in this scenario, why should I use this instead of that? When in reality, the, the most common real answer is cause I like it cause it sounded awesome. Yeah. And there's a technical answer too, but like if people are not using that as a, as like be all and all, like, do you like it? Then something's wrong. I think like if, you don't know, then you know, I guess. Yeah, I, f- I feel like recently too, like uh, there's a few artists I've been working with and, you know, and they're, they're a little more in like the developmental stage. So they're still like learning quite a bit. I mean, we all are, but. But they really are. Yeah, like, I mean, through and through and, you know, they're like, well, what did they do? Why did they, I'm like, because it felt good. Whether it is like mixing, you know, they're like, well, why would you use this 76 and not this one. And sometimes the answer is just like, that was just the one that my mouse came across first. <laughs> you know, it's just like, it's sorry to disappoint. Yeah. So, so yeah, sometimes it's just not an answer. It's just like, I don't know. I just grabbed that one and that's cool. And I love those moments where it's like, you know, you just, you just do something and you don't think about it and it just lives. And then, you know, then to watch somebody else get hung up on that little detail that you didn't even put a second of thought into, really, you know. Well, the thing is, you you did put the work into it leading up to that point to where your instincts and your taste guide you. Your mouse might have just come up on that 76 first, but if you heard audio through it and didn't like it, you probably would have moved on to the next one. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, if, you, if you're just like, oh, that, that works, throw it on and it's doing what you want, then you're going to just move on, you know. I'm not going to sit there and shoot out eight of them and be like, oh, this one's like, this one's a little better than the others, I think. Yeah, exactly. So the key is knowing that you like it. Yeah. You know, and I've seen that, like I've had people, you know, ask me, you know, production mix questions and they're like, well, what, like, how do you know which, you know, like what to do in this scenario or, you know, or they're like, what am I doing wrong? And I'm like, I mean, broad stroke, you could do this, this and this, but like, the the overall thing is like it just is this gonna take a couple years for it to make sense like i could tell you all the things that could be better in this mix or on this production but you're not even gonna know why or it's not gonna make sense until you've done it a handful of times you know and maybe in two years or something you'll be like i get it now like people that have just started you know in the past six months they're like you know, oh, my my mix doesn't sound like that great. And I'm like, well, yeah, I mean, that's just that we all we all did. I wanted to tear my ears off listening back to my first mix. You know, it's just like that's just how it goes. Sometimes there isn't that immediate answer that's going to fix fix it. It's just like put in the time. If, if it was so easy, there'd be so many people doing this. Yeah, put in the time, but like put in the time actually working on it, not so much like uh asking other people for the answer. Yeah. I'm curious because, you know, with all the the podcasts and like Nail the Mix and stuff and like, because when I was obviously learning, there was, I bought, I bought a, it was like home recording for dummies books, like straight up. That was the first, that was, I was like, and it had little diagrams of like, this sounds bad in a vocal. And I'm like reading it, you know, trying to figure it out. And uh, there was no, there was no like tutorials really, nothing like that. So it was very much just, figure it out on your own, like, and which is cool is you come up with, you know, with your own style that way and and whatever. But then, you know, obviously 
there's so much info now, which is so like, I'm like, man, I would have saved myself probably three years of like headache if, you know, like nail the mix or stuff were like a thing when I like had first started. But do you, I was curious, do you think now that there is so much info and all that, do you think it's, you opened up people to be like overly analytical with why it is they're doing certain things now like you know because there's obviously like the people that can take that are good at taking info and just kind of immediately being like all right cool let me apply this to my thing but then like we were talking about with like people like over analyzing be like well why was it this and not this and why was it this and not this or how'd you get here you know because like that that wasn't a thing when I was you know like starting I didn't really even have anyone to like bounce off of where I was like living so (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it just, well, I don't think we're creating the personality type. Those people have always been there. No. Yeah, of course. This just gives them more of a, an opportunity to do that, I guess. But I don't think that it like is creating those people. They would have been doing that about it anyways. They just would have been like, well, just quietly going on message boards and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Like one of the, yeah, the forums and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I was just curious because i mean you guys you know get to see see all of that you know i grew up in virginia and i was like you know there was like me my friend andrew bayless was like nearby he's cool taylor larson was in like maryland but there wasn't really like many other people so like we would all kind of i mean mostly andrew and i we'd like kind of just talk back and forth on stuff but it's just so wild it just felt like such a small little like oh like no one really does this but like seeing like what you guys are doing and like I mean, just the amount of people that are, like, into it. It is nuts, isn't it? It's almost mind-blowing. I was like, I had no idea that that many people were, like, interested in it. It's just so cool to see. Well, they didn't used to be. Um, They didn't used to be. Yeah. You guys have opened up such a huge platform for it to seem, not seem, like it is obtainable. But I think, like, you know, it, it was, like, almost feels like a myth, you know, like, and, and I'm, I mean, I'm sitting here like being all like, oh, back in my day, and it's not like that. It's not even know? that long but, ago. <laughs> yeah, it's just, I mean, it's just crazy. The advance and even the past five years is just nuts. But um, yeah, I feel like, yeah, like me having to go s- like seek out a recording for Dummies book. Yeah, man, it, it was sl- slim pickings. And then once I found it, I was like, this is like gold. Yeah, the thing is, though, that like, We've made it easier to get mediocre, basically. It's still just as much work to get great. Oh, yeah, for sure. If, like, anything has happened is, like, there's less use for shitty studios as a result of not just us, of the technology that's out, too. We're a part of this evolution. Like, there's a home recording revolution and this technological advancement and what we brought to the table. It all works together to basically evolve things to where you kind of don't need the shitty local studio the way you used to. That's it. Like you just don't. Yeah. However, if anything, what we're doing, I think really highlights when someone is really good, it really stands out. Now that like so many people are trying to do it and realizing just how difficult it is. Like, I think that um, it helps them appreciate 
why you should invest in like a good producer or a good mixer because maybe the shit is not easy i mean that that's that's a really good point honestly because like yeah i mean it, obviously we're in the era of like you know self-produce and anyone that can go buy a laptop and buy logic or cubase ableton whatever can technically be a producer now you don't need like the crazy you know most i mean just hit songs like platinum songs being made on just a laptop on an airplane, you know, it's just like, that's just where we're at now. But, um, you know, but it's still, I think it just shows people more than ever. I think that like, it's not about what you have. It's about, you know, like, yeah, like uh, the, it's just crazy to see the people that are like, well, I went to like the studio and like the guy's got like all this stuff, but it sounds awful. Like the mixy or, you know, the bounce he sent back sounds terrible. And I'm like, yeah, like it's not that hard of a concept. Like it was always like that though. Yeah, exactly. I just think people now are like even more aware of it, which is cool. It's not what you have. It's like how you're using it. Man, there was a studio in Atlanta that like all the famous bands recorded at in the nineties. And okay. So when Brendan O'Brien used it, Shit sounded great, of course. You know, yeah. like I think he did like a corn record there or something. You know, of course. Oh, okay. Amazing. Nice, yeah. So all the local bands were like, we're going to raise $1,200 a day and go there for a weekend and record an album. And then it would always sound like fucking garbage. It wouldn't be with Brendan O'Brien. It would be with the house person or the intern overnight or something off hours and like five to 10000 Dollars later, they'd have like a full length that was fucking garbage. What I think is that we've put that scam out of business. As far as I'm concerned, I know that some people think that like we, along with the technology, has like hurt the studio industry. But as far as I'm concerned, we don't need studios like that putting out shitty sounding demos for pants. Like that, like that is not a valuable service. Like. Shitty demos should be done at home. People should not be dropping. Like, it's not morally right. Like, man, I remember one time where this band drove in. I won't say from where, just in case they're listening. And when they showed up, let's just say that I found out that someone had mortgaged a house. It was an unsigned band. And they were fucking terrible. And they had mortgaged a house for the recording. It was too late to send them back. Had I known that that would happen, I would have sent them back. And yeah, like what we were doing is higher quality than, you know, that shitty local studio. But still, with that terrible of a band, there's no way it would ever be really good. And I felt like it, like it made me feel like a complete piece of shit to take their money. And when I think about like how many local studios just preyed on bands taking thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars from horrible bands, putting out horrible mixes, were part of what put an end to all of that. But I don't think we affected the top levels or like the truly great engineers and mixers, producers. Yeah. They, they're they doing great. Like, yeah. They're doing great. Maybe they're not getting $8 million budgets, but like there are a lot of people thriving from it, but they're actually good. That's like, that's the key. Yeah. I think it kind of comes back to, I mean, you know, well, it does come back to like what we were talking about earlier, where it's like, you know, how do you, yeah, I think you securing a long lasting career is by being, being 
for an artist, like that thing where like they can't just if you're busy, they're not going to be like, well, we're just going to have to go to so and so or we're just going to have to go elsewhere. Like they're going to they're going to wait, you know, whether, it, you know, if even if it's a couple days or, or whatever, because that you you're giving them something that they can't get elsewhere, you know, totally. I've got to wrap this up in a few, but there's one last thing I want to talk to you about, um, which is that you just announced your first artist on your uh New label venture, Blood Honey. Tell me about that. Yeah, so my friend and I, Daniel McCartney, he's had a label for a minute and, you know, um, kind of similar to with Jason Butler, who's in Fever. He has his label, 333. So I've kind of, you know, produced a lot of the things on both of those labels and Daniel and I have been, you know, working on like a lot of different stuff, like with his label and then just uh, some of the artists that he's an agent for. And then we kind of were just talking one day and he was like, hey, like, why don't we just like start something? We've just seen a lot of like cool things happen with just with his. So he's like, why don't we like do something where you know, you're like, you know, you're running it. You're in charge of like what's signing and. Yeah. So, you know, we set it up in a way where, you know, I produce, you know, and like write with, you know, the artists and and whatnot. And, you know, we're going to keep it pretty like small and tight at first, just kind of leaning into a lot of the weirder aspects of like the whole rock and metal and like electronic wave that's like happening. So like, I don't know if you like follow that like playlist on Spotify, like Misfits 2.0, but there's just some of the artists on there, like just doing this no, but I'm going to go check it right now so I don't forget. Definitely check it out. There's just, you know, a lot of the artists I work on are kind of under that, like Nova Twins, uh, Scene Queen. You'll see like Fever 333 on there. Yeah, the, uh, and then Hades, who I just signed. But yeah, it's just bring me is like a huge thing over there. And it's just like that crossover of like kind of just just rule breaking, which has kind of always been not only like my production style, but just like my taste in music is like anything that just feels kind of wrong is a lot of times my favorite stuff. So I, I don't know, it just, it just made a lot of sense when we like started it and like kind of knew exactly where we wanted to, what kind of artists we wanted to sign, what we wanted to do with it, how we wanted to run it. Nice. Well, I wish you a lot of luck with it. Thank you. And it's been a pleasure having you on. Yes, thank you for having me. I was looking forward to this. All right, then. Another URM podcast episode in the bag. Please remember to share our episodes with your friends, as well as post them to your Facebook and Instagram or any social media you use. Please tag me at ALLEVYURM Audio at URM Academy. And of course, Tag our guest as well. I mean, they really do appreciate it. In addition, do you have any questions for me about anything? Email them to me at al at urm.academy. That's E-Y-A-L at U-R-M dot A-C-A-D-E-M-Y. And use the subject line, answer me, al. All right, then. Till next time, happy mixing. You've been listening to the Unstoppable Recording Machine Podcast. To ask us questions, make suggestions, and interact, visit urm.academy and press the podcast link today.